Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Boston Celtics podcast here on the Athletic Podcast Network. I'm your host, Sam Jam Packard, professional sports fan, and I am joined, as always, by the kid, the god, the legend himself, Celtics beat reporter from The Athletic, Jay King. Ladies and gentlemen, we are coming to you live from the visitors' coaching press conference room. We are on the podium. Uh, no one else is here, but the Celtics uh, have defeated the Los Angeles Clippers. Another in-person podcast i'm on break now we can we can do this stuff a, a, a touch and go game there for the celtics uh, a, a close game they almost let it slip away um very similar to thurgood marshall's 1961 confirmation hearings to the You're second already circus. sliding in thurgood marshall references <laughs> i did that just to piss you off uh i told him i was gonna quit if you mentioned thurgood marshall on the podcast because he was reading a book about thurgood marshall at the celtics game like a maniac yeah, well, even though he's in between semesters, it's not even like he's actually studying this book. I, uh, can I say I'm a huge nerd and I appreciate uh, Thurgood Marshall's work in uh, the world of criminal procedure. If he was really a difference maker, he would have been called Third Great. <laughs> You're questioning the difference maker. <laughs> oh, that's good stuff. Um, we are here. The Celtics have won two games in a row. Um, they win the this Clippers game. They almost blow it, but um, a pretty good performance all around uh, in what was a, a back-and-forth game, a much more entertaining game than that, uh, dare I say, dog shit game against the Houston Rockets. That you was, didn't love the Rockets game? That was one of the worst basketball games I've seen in, in a long time. Um, in that game, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown both almost got to 40 points. In this game, they both almost get to 30 but I thought this game was a lot more about the contributions from uh, the role players. Derek White had a huge game-saving block, had a lot of great um, – had two consecutive possessions uh, in the fourth quarter where they were doubling Jason Tatum, and he kind of caught the ball with eight seconds left on the shot clock, got an and one-on-one, um, got a dish out to Grant Williams for three on another. Um, and I thought he made a huge impact, and then Robert Williams had a, a huge impact off the bench, uh, and it kind of allowed the – the Celtics to prevail there um, when it was a little touch and go down the stretch of that fourth quarter. Yeah, they got up 10. I think it was 10. And just kind of stopped playing. The Yeah, weird prevent offense mode. The Clippers were doubling. And instead of attacking off the double right away, the Celtics were just kind of dribbling it back out and trying to take off shot clock. Um, then Tatum got stripped. Smart got stripped and got lucky that he got fouled on that play. Like, could have been even worse. Um, Could have been a terrible, terrible meltdown. But after Clippers cut it to three, Derek White had the and one. That was, be- that was, that was before, before. They cut he had it. the block after they cut he it. He had the block after they cut it to three. They extended it to 10 with Derek White with the and one over Kawhi. And then the paint touch off the Tatum double 
would and then found Grant Williams for three. So White just made all kinds of big plays, especially they were forcing the ball out of Jason Tatum's hands down the stretch. And the Celtics kind of needed someone to attack on the weak side. Um, I thought he was a maniac for going at Kawhi the way he did. Like, he had no choice. There's like three seconds left on the he shot had to, clock. But, but he really, like, that was a big boy move. Got into the body, created contact, finished. And then the block on Paul George was just just a great, great play. He timed it perfectly. Um, went in and and really did a great job to to get that right before Paul George put it off the backboard. Um, so Derek White, like his help defense for a guard is kind of crazy. Um, it's just rim protection. Like well, his his ability moving back backwards when he's like someone's driving on him and is to get his hands and time it correctly is is very impressive. Yeah, and I thought the the Clippers actually went at him a little bit at times. Um, and the Clippers are a huge team, by the way. Yeah, they're one of the teams that can go at him because everybody's big, whether it's Kawhi, George, Marcus Morris, uh, even Norm Powell is like a big physical perimeter guy. And and they went out Derek White a little bit. And I thought they had some success with it, just not that he was playing bad defense, but just that they were huge and kind of hitting tough shots over him. I thought the Clippers, Paul George and Kawhi were, were pretty great. Um they hit a bunch of tough shots. Celtics probably felt how they make other teams feel sometimes where it's like you can play perfect and it doesn't matter because the 6'8", 6'9", guy can just do some special stuff. Um, I thought the Clippers role players um, did a pretty good job of just knocking down shots. That was a big reason. Like the Celtics were up 10 or 9 at halftime, um, maybe even 11. I think they were up 11 and the Cel- uh, Clippers went seven threes in the third quarter. And I thought a lot of that is because Kawhi uh, and Paul George were drawing a lot of attention. And John Wall, two of three from three. Norm Powell knocked down some threes. Marcus Morris, of course, knocked down some threes. I thought that really got the Clippers back into the game. Um, and interesting. I thought They hit a ton of threes in the third quarter. The third quarter, the Celtics really came out and played bad defense, I thought, for a while. Like, they were giving up wide open shots, uh, especially early in the third. Uh, they ended up picking it up, but... That stretch there was not their greatest. I was confused why they Ty Lue went away from Zubac. I thought Zubac was having a hell of a game. The Celtics would were a little bit smaller, and they felt like they were switching, and none of the smaller guys could really do anything with Zubac. I know single game plus minus isn't like the greatest thing, but he was a plus 10. The only guy other than... I guess Luke Kennard was a plus for the Clippers tonight. I thought he was pretty dominant and then just kind of went away from him in the fourth quarter. Um, and they, and I thought the Celtics, when they went to kind of these smaller ones, Clippers went to smaller lineups with either Batum at the five or Marcus Morris at the five. I thought it really opened up things for the Celtics offense. So I was kind of confused uh, why the Clippers went away from that because I thought Zubac just was doing, uh, was really having an impact on the game. But yeah, the beginning of the fourth quarter, maybe mid fourth quarter, um, like when they went to, it might have even been earlier than that, honestly. But when they went to that Batum lineup, the Celtics just got bucket after bucket in the paint. It was uh, Jalen got to the rim, and then Jalen got to the rim. Was, there was traffic, but it was only Batum there, and so he just like went up and hit some stuff over Batum. He had a quick Derek, eight points in the in the fourth quarter. Derek, Jalen was pretty good. Derek White got into the paint and fed Robert Williams, and then there was another play where. Batum was guarding Robert Williams, and Robert did a, Williams did a great job of just like 
sealing him and, and getting the over-the-top lob pass for an easy bucket. So the Celtics, they did a great job, I thought, of taking advantage of that small lineup. Um, and the, the Clippers, like, they play they, – they played really small. And I don't want to say really small because, like, all their guys are big except their center. Um, but when they went to that that unit, it was – it was just open season for the Celtics at the rim. And they did a really good job for the most part of continuing to put pressure on that and get to that rather than settle for jumpers during that stretch. The Celtics only shot 28% from three. I would say this homestand has been a a bad seven games for them in terms of three-point shooting. Clearly nowhere near the kind of lights-out shooting they had um, earlier in the season. Do you think this is more accurate of what they actually are this is a bit like uh lower than the mean and the, the early part of the season was higher than the mean like where do you think this Celtics team is in terms of three-point shooting because I think that's been a lot of the reasons for their offensive struggle is they're just not here hitting threes at, at the rate they were earlier in the year yeah I think it's it's going to be somewhere in between like there was a stretch this was only like three weeks ago maybe four weeks probably closer than to three weeks ago um when six of like the top 12 three-point shooters in the league were Celtics players. And it was like Grant Williams, Malcolm Brogdon, Al Horford, guys that were for the most part, just shooting all at a career high level. Um, And I do think that the rhythm of their offense and the quality of shots that they're getting guys will probably shoot better than they have for their careers or like their career average. But I don't think all those guys will end up, shooting close to 50% like they were for a while. Um, and and honestly, like, Jalen hasn't been super hot from three all year. It was an 0 for 8 game for him tonight. Um, Tatum hasn't shot at a super high level from three. It's been the, the supporting cast that's really shot well for the most part. Um, Except for Sam Hauser, who's broken over the last uh Yeah, and that's a big – that's a part of it too, like – what does he shoot three, four threes a game? And he's just gone ice cold. And if he's not making threes, then it's like he's held up somewhat defensively, but he's just not bringing that much value to the court. If he's just not like that knockdown three point shooter. Yeah. And so, so that's a, that's a thing. Um, And I think he'll end up shooting a very high percentage. Like he's literally shot better than 40% every year of his entire career. Dating back at least to college. He said, dating back through he thinks he did it every year in high school too at least i would hope high school uh, but when you're like a freshman it's fair like it's it's and it's tough to shoot 40 percent. i don't know what his high school team was like but when you're jacking threes and when you're probably shooting like absurd shots um so but he's he's mr 40 percent, so he'll probably end up somewhere around 40 percent or better or very close to it um but he has not been shooting the ball well lately and part of it is probably honestly bringing Robert Williams back. Um, just it's a different feel. You could see the Clippers like he came in. He he played great tonight. They played great during his minutes. Um, there was a stretch toward the end of the second quarter when he played with Al Horford for the first time in a couple games. Started and off really really well. Started off with a nine zero run, then just gave up wide open shots. I'm not sure why that group is normally great defensively, but you could see like when he got out there. Zubats is in the paint, like guarding him, but not really guarding him and taking away Jason Tatum, taking away some other things like taking away the the penetration. And so it's just a different 
thing that you have to deal with because normally it's been Al Horford and bigs need to guard Al Horford. And so there's more space there and you just have to attack it differently. Um, I feel like they just haven't unlocked rolling Rob Williams yet. Like they've, they've gotten some lobs to Rob Williams, but they feel like a lot of them have been in transition, but I haven't, I don't remember at least this season. I might just like not be perfect with my memory, but like just like a classic high pick and roll with Rob Williams. And it's just like leads to a lob with him at the rim. Like that he's not putting as much rim pressure. And I don't know if that's just adjustment because their offense um, has been different with him there. And so they're not just like running. They just don't seem to be running as much as like high pick and roll as Rob Williams, as I feel like they did last year. And so maybe that's something they're going to incorporate more. Um, but it just doesn't feel like they're, they're fully comfortable with him in, uh, in the half court offense at this point. Yeah. And, it's weird because Malcolm Brogdon shoots a super high percentage, but I feel like teams sometimes go under on screens for him. And so when he's with Rob Williams, like you're not fighting over the top. You're maybe not getting the the role as, as easy as you would with when they go over the screens. Uh, maybe that's because Brogdon is sometimes like reluctant to take that shot, but he's pretty good at it. Honestly. Uh, I don't know that, that I don't know what the numbers are on that. That's just like a, a feel thing. Um, with that being said, I do think Rob impact on offense, like in transition. Um, and I know Jared's writing about this for the athletic, just about like the, the bench unit and his Rob Williams impact in transition and giving them more of a, uh, just a threat on the rim and having guys like Grant Williams and Hauser be able to go to the wings in those moments. And then having that guy down the middle, I think it's been much more impactful in transition than it has been, uh, in the half court. And I do think it allowed the Celtics to like get out to that lead to start the fourth quarter with um, with their transition and and Jalen Brown just like going to the rim. And he's just been re- – Jalen's been so absurd this year with his shot two-point shot making, just like getting into the paint, whether it's in transition, his fancy lefty layups, or just as like his turnaround jumpers. He's just been – it's been kind of ridiculous. Yeah, it's just kind of automatic. Uh, like – and they're tough shots, a lot of them, but, but he's just – you can't really bother him. And and maybe maybe it's good comparison. Like Kawhi does that a lot, where it's like he just gets to his spot. And he, with Kawhi, it's different because he uses his height and his strength a lot, whereas Jalen kind of uses his height and his athleticism instead. Um, but it's a similar thing where it's like Jalen knows he can get to his spot, he knows he can get a shot off, and he knows you can't impact him. And and it's just like practice shots all the time, no matter how the defense is. He's been super impressed. I want to go back to Rob for a little bit. One stat that's kind of crazy. He's 21 for 26 from the field since he got back, shooting above 80% from the field. <laughs> he oh. missed he missed three months from, from the injury. And then dating back, like, he was hurt in the finals. Uh, he was hurt before the finals. He was hurt all playoffs and then came back and was hurt again. And it's like he just comes back and he's able to get – dunks like there's been no limitations as far as the jumping and and you haven't oh seen yeah it. his athleticism is fully there but did you think that like means he should be getting like they should be looking for him more like because he's played what seven games now or maybe he missed one in there but like that's not a lot of shots per game like he's been he's been what four or five for a lot of games but is like the fact that he's so good means that they should probably try to get him the basketball more He's just like a, a factor of the offense. Like, if they run certain stuff, if he's open, he's going to dunk it. 
Um, but if he's not, you're not going to like force feed the ball to Robert Williams. Maybe, I don't know. maybe tonight. Tonight, I saw him uh, take Paul George off the dribble and draw a foul. That was that was, <laughs> that was the most nowhere. electric thing I've seen Rob Williams do. I've never seen Rob Williams go off the dribble in my life. That and, that uh, was out of nowhere. It was wild because Paul George was playing up on him for some reason. Normally, they give Robert Williams a lot of space. And Paul George was like up in his jersey. And Rob was like, all right, going to take him. I gave him, gave him, like created some space with the body. It was not a move I was used to seeing. It was a Kelly Olenek move. Oh, yeah. It was it was the old Just Kelly Olenek spin and go. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the, the one layer of the offense that's really been missing this year, obviously they've had an amazing offense. They've been one of the worst offensive rebounding teams in the league. And having Rob's offensive rebounding is just huge because then it doesn't put so much pressure on you to be to like make the first shot. And I know obviously like that's what offensive rebounding does. <laughs> it gives you a second <laughs> gives shot. Gives you a second chance. But but they're not always like a team that gets to the rim a ton. They're not always like there aren't always a ton of ways that they can score. And when, and, when, and when the threes. threes aren't falling, like, it's really important to get those offensive rebounds. And I just think that's an element to their offense that has been missing all season. And that's one of the things he does best nearly as well as just about anyone in the league. Uh, I think he had five against the Rockets. He had four in this game in just 21 minutes. If you look at his per 36 minutes, they're, like, at least as good as they were last year, probably a little better. Um so I don't know when they're going to start giving Robert Williams more minutes, but Damon Stoudemire said tonight that they're going to start playing Rob Williams and Al Horford more together probably in the near future. And that seems like the next step for this team. Like they, that was so good for them last season. And this year, like the Derek White starting lineup has been just about plus 20 points per 100 possessions coming into tonight. I'm not sure exactly what it was tonight. It was probably pretty good because White was so good. But finding ways to get that big lineup back on the court and getting that defense from that group is, is going to be important for them um, to kind of relearn how to do that. Because like I said, it's just, it's just different offense. It's not like just a totally different rhythm to it. There are different things you have to do, different openings. Um, So I think that's important, but yeah, Jalen Brown also great, great shot maker from the mid range. (laughs) <laughs> Thank you for getting back to that uh, initial point. Uh, only other thing I could like big takeaway from this game, not even a big takeaway. I just uh, I'm going to continue harping on this because I feel like Marcus Smart, there's a lot of questions heading into last year about like him not being a true point guard. Um, and he's did it only one time this game, but there's been a bunch of times this season where he's passing up open threes and making the extra pass to get just better ball movement and create better shots for his teammates. Uh, Nine assists tonight. I just think he's doing a very good job of pushing the ball after makes, uh, just pushing the pace in general for the team and really like figuring out where to, how to break down defenses, how to get Jason and Jalen in the best position. Um, Obviously Corrales is writing about this because he asked everyone about Jalen having backdoor cuts, but uh, they talked about that kind of connection and it just feels like Marcus Smart. Um, he's always been, I think, a, 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 one of the better passers on the team, but it just feels like he's stepped into more of that point guard facilitator role in, in terms of just setting guys up to be in, in a good position to, to get easier 
easier buckets. Yeah, it feels weird bringing that up after he shot 15 times tonight. Um, but you're right. And thank you. Uh, like the one you were talking about where he gave up, like he had an open look at the top of the key. He instead drew a defender, found Grant Williams, who found Al Horford for a wide open three. In the corner. And it's like, so instead of a 34, 35% shot, you get Al Horford probably with like a close to 50% look from the corner. And Smart's been doing that a lot lately, um, just turning down his, his own offense. And the other thing is he's playing without turning it over. And I think coming into tonight, he had two turnovers total in his last three or four games. And he had three tonight, but two of them were moving screens. Uh, he had, I think it was just the one bad pass. He threw a really ambitious pass. Oh, in transition, that's just yeah. wildly ambitious. It, it was just a truly insane where he tried to thread the needle between like seven defenders. Um, but like playing without turnovers and making such an emphasis on getting better shooters, good looks. I, I just feel like this has been at least offensively the best basketball he's played. And it's not, not always going to show up in the point total, obviously 17 points tonight. Um, but just the, the poise that he's shown and the continued emphasis on getting the team good looks. I just think he's become the guy who organizes them a lot of the time. And that's really important. And I, I don't know if I ever, like a couple of years ago, three years ago, if you told me Marcus Smart was going to be the one like calming down the Celtics, getting them into sets, making sure the right guys got their ball at the right time in the right matchups. I'm not sure I would have bought it, but but he's just really come a long way as a floor floor general. It's interesting because he's was he's so good at that uh, this season has displayed that. But then I feel like this episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? 
The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. At the end of this game, he's more concerned with like running time off the clock than like setting up good offense. And like the Celtics do have this weird tendency of getting this prevent offense. And Marcus Smart loves his uh, shot clock shenanigans. And like today he had Grant Williams literally as an offensive lineman, like standing out there waiting for like, but it did feel like he had an opportunity to attack more and and kind of um, get to the basket. Uh, But they, I don't know. It's just weird to have like why the Celtics offense um, looked so bad uh, down like the final stretch of that game. And also it's like Jalen Brown had a pretty good look at a three. It rimmed out. Jason Tatum had a, a good look at a two and just came up short. We haven't mentioned Jason Tatum once on this podcast. Very quiet, 29 points. Didn't even go to the podium. Not a podium game for Jason Tatum after scoring 29. I thought he looked kind of gassed uh, towards the end of the game, um, but probably because he was getting doubled all night. Uh, but I don't know. It's just the – it's weird. And, and the weird how sometimes they're just – they're all, it's like, oh, they – you should just close that game out and it should not be an issue. And then you look up and it's like, oh, the Clippers are down three. The it's Clippers just- also switch a lot and they were doubling him a lot. And so, like, he really had to do a lot to create his offense tonight, I felt like. Um, and that's probably part of the reason why both he and Jalen had tough shooting nights. Is like, they're really physical. They're huge, like you said earlier. Um and they just have a lot of bodies to throw at really good offensive players. So they – I thought the Clippers played a good game. Like, this was a pretty well-played game. I, I didn't think the the shooting was always there, especially in the first half. Um, the Clippers picked it up in the third quarter. But I just felt like it, it was pretty crisp game. Like, these were two very good teams playing at a high level for the most part. I like I I don't know what happened. Kawhi made some big shots late when they're making the comeback. But I'm looking at his uh, stat line right now. Eleven for sixteen. That's a damn good game. But why is he only taking sixteen shots? I guess probably because the Celtics were doubling him. I'll answer my own question there. The Celtics were really doing their their damnedest to get the ball out of his hands. But it feels like they could have. Like, I don't know. It feels like if this was a playoff series, it would have been like more of a emphasis on just like letting Kawhi take over because the Celtics didn't have much of an answer for him. And when you shoot 11 for 16, you're feeling it. Like you're having a good game shooting from the, uh, from the floor. Uh, and it felt like they could have done more um, to get the ball in Kawhi's hands. But I guess that was, you know, it's kind of, it's similar. It's funny just how these like two duos work in that so much of the emphasis was getting the ball out of Tatum's hands or getting the ball out of Kawhi's hands. And then it allowed in the fourth quarter, Paul George to kind of go off and then Jalen Brown to kind of go off as the kind of, the the second stars who get less attention um but the clippers are a good team i don't like i feel like they should have a better record at this point they were a pretty deep team i was surprised that like terrence Mann only played four minutes um but i feel like they're they're plenty talented and so it's like a pretty good win for the celtics being tested after um good win against the bucks and you know yeah. surviving the rockets one random subplot is I just really enjoy when the Celtics have their centers guard point guards. And they've done it a lot lately. Like, that that seems like they're just – and maybe it's because they've played a bunch of teams that have non-shooting guards who can't point shoot. guards. Like, but Al Horford was guarding Reggie Jackson for a stretch. Robert Williams was guarding John Wall for a while. Um, 
And when Robert Williams had that amazing block on Zubats, where he just like oh the violent block, yeah, he came out of nowhere. Literally was at the foul line when Zubats caught the ball at the rim and still blocked him. That was an incredible block. Um, but he was guarding John Wall on that possession, and obviously, like he shut down Rob Williams, shut down one play, like sort of recovered to John Wall, and then was able to get back to Zubats and block him too. Um, so that's just a wrinkle that they've used. And they, obviously they used it last year, like Rob Williams always guarded a perimeter guy, but it feels like they've gotten even more aggressive with it and especially more aggressive with it, like having Al do it. Um, felt like most of the time last year, maybe it was because they were bigger, but he he almost always guarded the big men last year, it, it felt like. Um, and, and it's an and interesting now choice. They'll have Jason Tatum guard centers. They'll have... Marcus Smart guard center sometimes. So they're they're really doing some some interesting things with matchups and I think some smart things with matchups. It's like an interesting choice because it does expose Tatum or Smart to play on the centers, but I think they just they're living with that because then and Marcus Smart mentioned it after the game, it's like, sure, give Brooke Lopez a post up. Like that is not your most efficient offense. And so they're gonna like even if the the like and I think Probably that's what Zubach did tonight. It's like even if you they're going to bully and get some easy buckets down low, that's just like not the way to win basketball games in kind of the modern NBA is having your your non skilled big do a bunch of uh of post ups. And the Celtics kind of feel like they'll live with that as long as they can prevent prevent the threes. I think the interesting thing tonight is both the Celtics and Clippers shot thirty nine threes. Clippers made four more. And the Celtics were able to win this game. I think a lot of that came from the free throw line. And the um, paint. And the paint. 54 points of paint for the Celtics. Feels like ever since uh, they had their little rut, the five and six games, they've really put an emphasis on getting the paint and getting some easier buckets. Um, but they also got to the – that helps them getting to the free throw line. The interesting subplot of this game, fourth quarter with like seven minutes left – Celtics pick that's up their the second time we've said interesting subplot, I believe, in this podcast. Yeah, well, that's an interesting that's subplot an, to the podcast. Interesting subplot in itself. <laughs> uh, but seven minutes left, the Celtics pick up their fourth foul. And really, the Clippers should be in the bonus the rest of the game. The Clippers didn't shoot another foul shot for, I think, the rest like that entire time. The Celtics do a good job of not fouling. And yeah. they actually get the Clippers in the bonus. Actually, uh, help me out here. I don't know which team is in the bonus when. If Eric, when you have five fouls, are you in the bonus or is the other team in the bonus because they're getting the bonus of new free throws? Uh, uh, I've always said the team that is getting the free throws is, is in the is bonus. Is in the bonus. Yeah. So okay. the Celtics will be in the if, if so the, the Clippers, Clippers had four were in fouls. The bonus. The, the Clippers were in the bonus. The from Celtics seven had four mark. fouls. The Clippers were in the bonus. Okay. Yes. Well, the Clippers were in the bonus for six <laughs> minutes. You should have seen the confusion <laughs> on my face. I'm still confused. Here's another question. Why are offensive fouls not counted as team fouls? Yeah. I understand, like, the rule. You don't want to do that. But team fouls is a terrible name for it then because that's not. it should just be called penalty fouls or bonus fouls. Or team foul. Why not team foul? Because the offensive fouls are, are not – what team are they committed by? Why aren't they counted as They're team fouls? They're committed by your team. They're just not – they don't go to the team total. I'm saying that's stupid. I mean, sweet. <laughs> All right. We fully transitioned <laughs> into the junk portion of the evening. Um, let's start with just the one – the couple things I remember from 
uh, the Houston game, Jalen Brown approached something impressive, uh, which is the Allen Houston record of most points in a game without an assist or a rebound. Allen Houston did it in, I think, the year 2000 with 37. Jalen Brown made it. I think it you to- tweeted 36. No, no, he, 37. Jalen Brown got to 36 points. Oh, okay. And then picked up his first rebound, but just wild to score that many points. Like to be that involved in a basketball game and not get an assist or a rebound. Impressive stuff from Jalen Brown. Especially because he's really been rebounding well. And then just to go that long without one against the Rockets, just a little weird. Just a little weird. And both teams were missing a lot of shots, especially in the first half. Still didn't get a rebound. Uh, salute to Allen Houston, though. That's quite a record. I yeah. once saw him. I was a ball boy for Nick's training camp. Naturally. And it was the year he was, like, retired and then tried to come back. And he was just washed. And he didn't make the team. But they uh, at the end of practice, they had to sh- make, I think it was 10 free throws each t- in a row to leave the court. And instead of shooting their own free throws, players just try to throw the ball at Allen Houston <laughs> to, to try to make him not make 10 in a row. And he still made 10 in a row. Just pelting the ball at him? That's impressive stuff. Yeah. Like nobody was focusing on their own free throws. They just wanted to make sure that Allen Houston did not make 10 in a row. So he had to stay on the court and realize how washed he was? That's No, but he made it. He made them all. He, he, was, he could shoot like hell. He just couldn't move at that point. Um, another fun uh, thing from the Houston game, Rob Williams, hot potato, uh, just refuses to hold the ball in the backcourt for longer than one second. He, he had a great turnover ball. tonight, too. He had basically great did, turnover. It was actually in the Such front court. Such an entertaining court. turnover. He, but he did the same thing where he just immediately throws it to Jason Tatum. In the Houston game, he hit Jason Tatum in the face. Didn't like they both had a nice laugh out at it and like continued on the possession, but it's just like yeah, he kind of just patted him on the back. Yeah, it's like why do you hate like uh, he, friend of the program, Coley Mix said that he's just like one coach was like you you never dribble, you are never allowed to dribble in the backcourt, and it's just like stayed. Rob Williams immediately hot potatoes it every single time he gets the ball in the backcourt. Yeah, you're gonna have to live with some some weird stuff when when Robert Williams plays, and it's. It's truly entertaining. There was one year he must have thrown the ball away. Like I don't want to really gas it, but it, it seemed like it was close to one every game where he was just throwing turnovers in the backcourt, just launching the ball. And he's he's gotten a lot, lot better at throwing it to his own team at least, but he still does get rid of it quickly. Uh, you mentioned you had some junk. The floor is yours. You're not done with your junk? No, I figured I'd get back to mine. All right. Um, I'll share some of my junk. Okay. So in the locker room, the Celtics players, there was just a few of them, uh, but they were ranking the funniest players on the team. Oh, let me guess. Blake is up there. Blake, number one. Okay, he has a stand-up career, so that makes sense. Yep. Uh, Luke Cornett. Luke Cornett was number two. Oh, okay. I got a good read on this team. And then I'm going to go with it's not Al Horford, it's not Derek White. They never really they never settled they on never a third. really settled on a third. There was one vote for Peyton Pritchard. Um, Peyton Pritchard's funny, but I don't know if he's a laugh with guy. He's more of a laugh at guy. But this was the funny part. They they were one of them said, and I'm I'm going to a anonymous here because it's weird. I was in the Celtics locker room. They were having a conversation. It didn't involve me. Um, so I don't want to throw anybody under the bus, but they then started talking about the least funny player on the team. <laughs> okay, let me guess. 
Grant. And and they they agreed that they have a very funny team. And then one of the players said, "Yeah, but one of the players really isn't hilarious at all." And I, I'm not going to say who who those two <laughs> players were. The guy who said it and the guy who's not funny at all. Um, but but there was one player that they agreed was was not very funny, and I thought that was hilarious. But then Luke Cornett chimed in with, "When are we going to rank the most empathetic players?" On the team? <laughs> That's a funny. <laughs> That's a classic Luke Cornett shit. Yeah. When are we going to rank the most empathetic guys on the team? I enjoyed that. Oh, that's wonderful. Um, back to my junk. Um, Turn my swag on has become a, a pregame staple here at the TD Garden, which I'm for. I'm a big Soldier Boy fan. Um, you're looking at me with disgust in your eyes. That's okay. No, I did not even look at you. I was so disgusted, actually. Okay. You looked away with disgust in your eyes. Um, uh, Soichi, who writes for Mass Live, he's always watching other games during the uh, on his iPad, um, which is just a great move. I probably shouldn't mention. He's that. not watching it; he just has it on. Yeah. To be fair, he he he'll watch during timeouts, but he he's yeah. not like paying attention to it. Yes. Let's, let's yes, not that's act fair. like Soichi is just like sitting there watching this fucking game. But today he had on a Detroit Red Wings game. Um, he's a Detroit guy. He's a Detroit guy. But uh, it just made me think, like, Detroit Red Wings fans smuggle octopus into the game to just throw on the ice. I don't know what the fuck Red Wings fans It's do. an odd I move. Don't That's care, a bold honestly. move. And, like, you have to do it because you think there's going to be, like, a hat trick or something. But, like, what happens when the team's losing and you just smuggled an octopus into, like, into the game? You're going to have to find a reason to throw that octopus. This is a really out there junk. It's got nothing to do with the Celtics, nothing to do with really whatever – Anyone else viewing the game had observed, but I saw a Red Wings game, so I had to uh, talk about it. Uh, John Wall is a guy, and I always just saw him live in person for the first time probably since like 2017. Remember when Jay Crowder booped him on the nose? Yeah. That, that was a good time. It's just like John – like those were some intense series against the Wizards, and now it's just like no one from the Wizards side of that is at all relevant anymore. The Marsan Gordot's not relevant to you? <laughs> nope. Not not Markeith Morris, not Marcus Morris, who played for Markeith Morris in that game. Um, there aren't really many guys from those Celtics teams that are relevant either. I guess Jay Crowder is probably the most relevant. Al Horford, Al Horford was on that team, right? Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, it was the first Al Horford year. Yeah. Wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was the first Al Horford year. Um, but yeah, Isaiah Thomas no longer. Avery Bradley not here. Kelly Olynyk still pretty relevant. It's Kelly Olynyk's relevant. All right, I was just uh, just remembering that. Um, Kawhi one-handed rebounds are always just going to be cool. It's just super badass to grab a rebound with one hand and immediately just go in transition. It's it's a cool move. The Celtics in the pregame locker room were kind of marveling at Kawhi's one like huge hand thing. They rewound the, They always watch tape of games in the locker room of the team that they're playing, and they rewound a play where Kawhi like faked a pass to his teammate and made the second defender just like scatter <laughs> and and then hit like a hook shot um and they were just saying like what are you supposed to do there because he's literally like just has the ball in his one hand it looks like he's gonna throw it and if you don't run back to your guy <laughs> you just look like an idiot because your guy gets a wide open three but then if you do run back to your guy he's just gonna have a one-on-one situation that you did not want at all 
Um, but they were just saying how his hands are so big that it looks it like a makes, softball. It makes his fakes much tougher to guard because he's doing it with one hand, and anyone else with that one hand would have to throw the ball, but he can just hold it. They were uh, marveling. Mar- I, like, I like these tales from the Celtics locker room. This is a good segment. Uh, Marcus Morris, I just like the fact that he added a senior to the back of his jersey. I think it's a strong move. That was it a long pre- time ago. I know, but I was Let's, reminded of it this tonight. This is like junk from 2018. Jesus Christ. Uh, okay, from tonight. Peyton Pritchard and Derek White had to name four other people they'd want to play at their, their top celebrity. Derek White's list was hilarious. <laughs> no, Peyton Pritchard's list was more hilarious because Peyton Pritchard struggled struggled to name four famous people and barely got through his list. I think he just named Denzel Washington. He named a character from uh, a, just a basketball movie who I'm blanking on right now. Uh, but Derek White also had an electric list, including Jason Siegel. Who was very good. He was a very good a basketball good hooper, player, by yeah, the way. Good hooper. I want to say he played with the Collins Twins. That sounds about right, yeah. And was like, in like a legitimate, at least a college prospect. I don't know whether he played in college, but he was a college prospect, and he was pretty good. And he's like 6'6", big dude, hilarious, forgetting Sarah Marshall, top five movie of all time. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had Quavo, who's always pretty good. in the- Quavo, Jason Siegel, Morgan Freeman, and I forget the uh, Derek White's fourth, but... Um, it was just an interesting. Morgan Freeman was the last one, and that, and that was the crowd pleaser because it was like he took a lot of care into like thinking Freeman, of other yeah. guys who could play basketball, and then was like, and Morgan Freeman, you yeah. can't lose with Morgan Freeman on your team. I'm telling you, it's a funny team. It's a funny team. Everybody but one player. <laughs> Everyone one player, and I can't wait for us to stop recording so you can tell me who it is. Uh, Aaron Neesmith, huge dunk tonight. I had my timeline of buzzing of just people going. Aaron Neesmith did a thing. I was very excited. Dunked all over Jared. Jared Huge dunk. Richard, Richard, we need you to discuss the dunk at some point. Um, We talked about Rob taking Paul George off the dribble. We saw a good double charge tonight. I don't know who they called it on. I believe it was Marcus Smart actually took the charge. Uh, But Jalen Brown also fell down. Never seen that before. Uh, We talked about offensive fouls, team fouls. Um, nine magic players were suspended today for their, uh, fracas caused by Mo Wagner just being unnecessary. So many were violent. suspended that they had to stagger. I know, which is too bad. They Do you know how made... they stagger them? By alphabetical order. <laughs> That's awesome. So, so I was wondering when it came out, I was wondering like, how do they stagger? Do they get to choose who sits when? It's just by alphabetical order. So, and there were nine players and the, the cutoff was on the Harris. It was the Harris on each side. <laughs> oh, no. So, they had to go beyond the last name. <laughs> to first names? Yeah. Just just a lot of alphabetical orders. I would have wanted them all suspended and, like, call up your entire G League team for one game. Why not? If anyone was going to get punched in the back of the head, it was going to be <laughs> Mo Wagner. Like... That was, was a total, weird. That was a weird play. Just a not a reasonable time to throw a hip check out there. Uh, I thought it was a totally reasonable time to throw a hip check. They were they were <laughs> hustling for the basketball. They weren't the balls out of bounds. They were hustling for the basketball. <laughs> Shouts to the freaky Frenchman Killian Hayes for throwing a, a, a forearm right to back him of Wagner's head. I didn't that see that from Killian. Such a you can't throw a punch to the back of someone's head. And I know Wagner just hit you're him. you're defending Wagner on this. I'm not defending Wagner because <laughs> he is and was an asshole on the court. But 
I'm not going to certainly defend the guy who punched someone who lo- might have been out cold on his feet in the back of the head. Wait, you thought Wagner was out? Oh, okay. it looked out, like, might have like been Diallo, out. like when Diallo punched him in the back, he was like, like something happened. He looked like he was out cold. And then Killian Hayes came in and hit him in the back. It was just, I would have been okay with a Killian Hayes shove to the back. Oh, yeah. In I mean, that situation. But when you punch somebody in the back of the neck, that, that can really hurt a guy. Didn't think Jay King was going to be a big, big defender of not. There, there are, there are rules to this okay. in my head. Okay, and I'll probably go back and forth on those rules depending on the situation. I'm a hypocrite. Um, um, more junk? My last thing is they just played a um, a levels by Avicii dubstep remix with three minutes to go. That was a little too intense, and I, it was, I didn't, I wasn't here for it. I like anytime you can play levels by Avicii. I'm of a certain age, like that song's bop, that song goes, but I didn't appreciate the dubstep remix. Okay. Sweet. <laughs> oh, you see, now you're judging my junk drawer for not being what, relevant enough, junky enough? You do you have anything left to, any more tales from the locker room? I do, yeah. Okay, let's uh, hear it. So one this is kind of a just a wild question, but Grant Williams was going around asking people before the game. It, would you rather be nauseous at all times for the rest of your life or lose one sense? You don't know what sense it's going to be. Oh, you don't get to pick. And so... Well, you can't lose, like, touch. Like, you, you, there'd be... I guess you have a one in, one in five chance. But if you lose touch, you just can't operate. You don't want to lose sight. I mean, you, you obviously don't want to lose any of lose these hearing. things, but like you can operate as a blind person or as a deaf if person. If I lost taste, I'd be okay with it. Like I, I would hate missing food, but that would be like the, you'd be healthiest. That would be the alive. best outcome. So you'd have a twenty percent chance of that outcome. Um, what's the fifth sense? Sight. Oh, the ability to speak. No, that's not a sense at all. I don't know. The sixth sense is sensing dead people. <laughs> what, what's the fifth sense though? <laughs> Touch. Touch, sight, sight, hearing, hearing, sense, smelling. Smelling. Yeah, I'd be cool without yeah. smelling. Like that, taste or smell. So you got forty percent is like you're fine with. Tw- like forty percent are like you you can live with, but it'd be shitty. You just can't lose the sense of touch, or else so, you're never you're gonna. So my answer to Grant when he asked me was, I'd rather risk it with the senses. But the more I thought about it the more I just thought that was a ludicrous response. Because here's the thing. If you were always nauseous, you would just adapt to it. It would be your normal. No, dude, because the spirit of the game, you would would have a new level of nausea. You can't adapt to constant nausea. I'm I'm a tough motherfucker. If I had to live with nausea every day, it would be nothing. I would just persevere through it. I would would persevere through blindness, JK, because I'm a tough motherfucker. I would persevere through losing one of my senses. But no, you as soon as you adapt to the one form of nausea, they'd hit you with a new form of nausea. The spirit of the game, you can't just say, oh, that would not happen because I'd adapt to it. Oh, I, I just think maybe it's not spirit of the game, but when someone evolves <laughs> and grows the way I do, you have to take that into account. I didn't take into this separate evolutionary pattern of uh, the kid, the god, <laughs> the legend, J. King. That's that's on me, fellas. That's uh, and ladies out there listening. That's on me for not uh, not taking into J King's special adaptive power, like a, some sort of um, some sort of Pokemon we've never even heard of. He just evolves around everything. Pokemon Avicii, you got some fucking awful references. Tonight. <laughs> I'm just uh, 
<laughs> what, you're going to shit on Thurgood Marshall again? <laughs> Civil I'd... rights leader? <laughs> Call him Third Great Marshall? They should. They should. They should. They should. I'm reading his biography right now. He did He's a lot for this world. <laughs> uh, what, what did he do for this world, Jay? Many, many great things. Many great things. That's that's where we'll leave it here, folks. Um, another long in-person podcast coming after uh, Celtics victory here at TD Garden. They're about to go on a road trip. Uh, we'll be back. Are you going on the road trip, Jay? I will be on Jay, the road trip. road version of Jay King. So we'll be uh, recording some podcasts with Jay on the road. Hopefully he'll have more tales from the locker room, tales from his travels. Uh, thank you guys for listening to this episode of Anything is potable. <laughs> oh, I didn't do the scream. Put you on the spot. Didn't do it. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.